This is the way it ought to happen. Just praise God right up into the time of Bible reading. James chapter 5. Would you please stand for the reading of the word of the Lord. Such a tremendous crowd. Look around. Look how many people we have here on Wednesday night. Isn't this great? We're going to fill the church up on Wednesday night. Sunday night, we're going to have to borrow the Colosseum to use. Believe that. Speak that. Get to dreaming that. Get your mind off this little old dinky building. This thing ain't big enough to house the Pentecostals and the church and the bride. You got to get to thinking much bigger than this little old dinky building. Revival God's going to give us as much bigger than this little old thing. You got to think big and see big things. James chapter 5, verse 17. I want us to read together, if you don't mind. And I appreciate all of you coming, and I really felt led to invite the young people to be with us tonight. I hope I have your undivided attention because I'm going to speak on the most important thing in your life tonight. <clears throat> Elias was a man subject to like passions as we are. Now let's start again and understand who you're reading about here. It's Elijah. Elias was a man subject to like passions as we are. Same kind of problem, same kind of love. And he prayed earnestly that it might not rain, and it rained not on the earth by the space of three years and six months. Now I want us to move back up one verse, and I want you to notice something in verse 16. It says, The effectual of a righteous man availeth much. Elijah prayed, in his prayer. That's my subject tonight is pray in your prayer. I didn't say pray. Some people pray, but they don't pray in their prayer. Tonight we're going to talk about that, praying in your prayer. I want to say we're so glad to have all of our guests. We're glad to have our sweet folks from Brother Fuller's Church in Atlanta. Brother David Fuller is a favorite preacher, one of the favorite preachers of this church, and we're so glad they're here. And all of our other visitors, we welcome you. Put your Bibles down, and I want you to grab the person's hand one more time beside you, though you've done that tonight. Now I want you to raise your hand, and I want you to block everything out of your mind but what the Spirit's going to say to you tonight, and let God speak to you tonight. Ask God to speak to you individually. In the name of Jesus, we claim it. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. God bless you. You may be seated. Tonight, <clears throat> I am asking every Sunday school teacher... Tonight, I am asking every department head. Tonight, I am asking every Bible study group leader to teach more and then some more and then some more on prayer. I'm asking every staff member, every usher, every choir member to do something about a consistent prayer in your life. I want to deal tonight with 
the passions in prayer. Would you say that? The passions in prayer. You should buy, if you want to give a good gift, the best books about prayer. And if you want to give somebody a very good present for their birthday or Christmas, it would be a book on the power of prayer. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man, the Bible says, availeth much. That means the fiery, the intense, the passionate, the zealous, that kind of praying will buy a man a whole lot with God. There must be a place of passion. There must be a place of fervency in your prayer. I don't mean just to pray. I don't mean sign a three-hour prayer shift. I don't mean get down for an hour at home. I'm talking about there must come a time in your prayer where that, that passion and that fervency, which is the intense emotional excitement, where that strong desire, where that enthusiasm, where that earnestness in prayer is there. It's something past just saying words. It's something past, now, dear Father, we pray this prayer, and Lord Jesus, we ask you to bless our family, and Father, you've been so good to us. I'm talking about the kind of prayer that Elijah prayed. I'm talking about the kind of Elisha kind of praying, Elijah kind of praying that moved the hand of God, which shows passion in prayer. We must fine-tune the skills of our prayer in all of us, every one of us, from the pastor to those that have just been born again, must work on fine-tuning our prayers to where we learn the skills of passion praying, but especially those who are entrusted with the continuation of God's great work, those of us that God has placed a special anointing upon, any kind of leadership in this church, your first and foremost goal in this church has to be not just a prayer life, but a prayer life that's full of passion. The Lord wants me to bring you tonight to the place where you can be adequately prepared for embracing the future and that is about to invade this present. The future is moving very fast towards the present. We are to pray fervently and continually in a place of transition. Prayer must become a prophetic act where that we engage God in our future. We don't know when we might wake up at 5.30 on Thursday morning and leave to go to Florida and a truck come rushing through a blinking light and hit our van. We don't know those things, so we're engaging God for future events. We're bringing God on our side in prophetically for the tomorrow. And the adversary fears any God and any person that serves a God that he knows who holds the future. The devil knows that if he can handle the present with you, he's got everything under control. But he knows that if you ever learn the power of passion praying, where that you can control things that's going to happen in your future, it'll make the devil shake in his boots and run the other way when he knows that you have the power of passion praying to bring devils and demons their knees, not just today, but tomorrow like John Wesley once said I like what that Methodist said 
He said, give me a hundred men who fear nothing but God and hate nothing but sin, and I care not a straw whether they be a layman or whether they be a preacher. I like that statement. He said, give me a hundred men who fear nothing but God and hate nothing but sin, and I don't care whether they be a layman or whether they be a preacher. Their prayers can shake the gates of hell. It doesn't have to be G.A. or Vesta Mangan or Anthony and Mickey Mangan. It doesn't matter who it are. He said, just give me somebody that fears God and hates sin and has passion praying and he can shake the gates of hell when there's a 19 year old man by the name of Charles Hayden Spurgeon was invited to become pastor of that New Park Street Church in London England such a well-known church one of the biggest churches in the whole world he said they must have made a mistake by electing me it must have been another man's name that they meant to write down the ballot but Spurgeon became the most influential Baptist preacher in history he preached to multitudes with great power and elo eloquence and biblical knowledge why because every time he preached there were hundreds of people that were assembled on the lower level of that tabernacle in London who prayed in prayer they just didn't pray they prayed in prayer during the preaching service and every Monday night at his church he had 12 hundred men that met him every Monday night for a prayer meeting and they prayed in prayer. James, the half-brother of the Lord Jesus Christ and the author of this epistle where that I read my text tonight, he was nicknamed Camel Knees by the early church. James had been slow to believe that his brother Jesus could possibly be the Christ or the Messiah. He was the last one to really come around. But after he was brought to believe that Jesus was indeed the Messiah, he said, I'm going to live on my knees. And when he died and they came to coffin him, they said it was like coffining the knees of a camel rather than the knees of a man. He went to his knees so often that his knees were like that of a kneeling camel when they put him in the coffin because he prayed in his prayers. It is said of Edward Payson, better known as Praying Payson, that he wore hardwood boards in grooves into those hardwood boards where his knees pressed so often and so long in fervent prayer. He prayed in his prayers. He prayed with such energy that those grooves in that hardwood floor by the side of his bed were about six or seven inches long from the book that I read. When they washed his body for burial, they found great big pads on his knees and they said his knees were like camel knees they said it was like big old cloth pads it was like somebody that plays basketball that wears those big old knees pads or those skaters where that when they fall in that hardwood they won't burn their knees they said his knees were so callous from going to those wooden fours in prayer of all night prayer meetings of intercessory with God where he prayed in his prayers that they said, Oh, my God, what abnormal knees. They're heavy. They're heavy with calluses. The thing they noticed about the man was he had pads on his knees, and they found out he received those from camels, Leonard, uh, from kneeling and praying that he received those like a camel. Leonard Ravenhill said, One day I was in the Bible school of Wales, and there was dear Miss 
Howells, Howells. Her husband was dead now. We stood on the terrace and she turned and said, do you see that room there? And they said, yes, Miss Howe. She said, well, I want you to look at that room real good. She said, you see that door? And they said, yes, ma'am, we see that door. She said, Daddy, that meaning her husband, said he went through those doors at 6 o'clock in the morning and he stayed there until 6 o'clock that night every day for 11 months except the one day that his mother died. But said he's the one that built this thing. He's the one that put a foundation under it. He's the reason why you're here because he knew the power of prayer. He knew the power of intercessory prayer. He knew what prayer could do. John Knox prayed, God, give me Scotland or I die. Buffeted by years, John Knox needed help when getting into the pulpit. Then as he prayed for the lost of Scotland, he Strengthen, Lord, me, he said. Strengthen me where that my strength will multiply. And the pulpit would shake and literally fall apart under the thunder of his preaching and the burden of his soul because of such intense prayer. They said, Mary, the Queen of Scotland said, I fear John Knox's prayer more than I do 10,000 soldiers because they knew he was a man that knew how to pray when he prayed. Men of like passion as we are. Men and women and young people. Young people that know how to pray in their prayers. If tonight, if tonight, this people, the members of this church, could have a great burden of soul with such zeal and such passion and such yearning that they would rend our hearts and we would break up our fallow ground, that ground that has been planted but left unplanted and inactive for quite a few months. If we would go back to passion praying in this church, if we would go back to praying in our prayers in this church, we would see a revival on a single scale unprecedented. You can see around here what a few can do through passion prayer. You can see around here what a few has wrought that come here every morning and hit their knees. And the men that come by this church at 4.30 and 5.30 and 6 every morning. I wonder what would happen if God would take your pastor tonight and take the words off of the page of this book and let me grill it on the soles of your hearts. What would happen if this whole church would break up their plowed ground tonight and you'd say, God, I want you to give me a burden for a prayer tonight. I want you to pour passions into my prayers. I don't want to just pray tonight. I want my prayers to become prayers that have passion in it. Everybody say passion. I want my prayers to have passion in it. I just don't want to pray. I want to pray with passion. Thank God you saved me. Thank God, Lord, you saved me. But I want there to something happen to me that is his greatest salvation. And that is that you will baptize me with a desire to become that of a passion prayer warrior. I want to be a man that just don't pray. I am a man of prayer. But I don't want to be a man of just prayer. I want to be a man of passion of prayer. I want to be a man that when I pray, I have passion when I pray. I want something to be there for Elijah with like passions as we put all his passions into his prayer. What I'm dealing with tonight, what I'm working on tonight is getting passion in your prayer. 
If I can get passion in your prayer, I'm going to change your life. If I get passion in your prayer, I'm going to save your marriage. If I get passion in your prayer, we're going to save our children. If we get passion in your prayer, God's going to keep opening deaf ears like he did Sunday night a week ago here. If I get passion in your prayers. I'm talking about something way down deep inside of you where you're not worried about what comes out of up here, but it's what comes out of down here. Oh, no, we don't have Elijah's prophetic office. We don't have that, and you're not an Elijah here tonight. We're not of James's apostolic inspiration. We haven't been chosen as one of the 12, but every one of us have plenty of passion if we would make the right use of it. In this room, I know there's passion because it's been at work in the wrong ways around here. I know there's passion. I know there's all kind of passion in this building because it's been at work, but it's been going in the wrong direction. And tonight, what I have to do is zero your passion in on the things that really matter and the things that's important. And if I can take the passions that's in your life and I can direct that into your prayers and you can get passion in your prayer, you're going to change your life tonight. You're going to change your life tonight. I want you to hear, Pastor, tonight. I want everybody to listen to me, please. I want you to listen to me. We're either prayerful or we're prayerless. We're either effectual or we're unveiling in our prayer. We're either fervent in our prayer or we're lukewarm in our prayer. But you're whatever your passions are. Wherever your loves and your desires are is what you're producing. Whatever passions it's got a hold of you is what's going to drive you. That's what's going to take control of you. But we are of like passion as Elijah. We all have enough passions to make us mighty men of God. If we would take our passions and put them to the right use. If we would take our passions and apply it to the right place. If only our passions were vented into our prayers. We all have passion enough to move. God and anything we needed moved on because we have passions. There's not a doubt in my mind that there's enough passion in every one of you that it's either going to make you a saint in heaven or it's going to make you a devil in hell. Did you hear me tonight? And you better hear, Pastor. That's why I asked you all to be here tonight. That's why I brought the young people in. Let me tell you something. Your passions are either going to put you in heaven or your passions are going to put you in hell. Do you hear me, young people? Do you hear me, young couples? Do you hear me in the balcony? Do you hear me everywhere tonight? Your passions are going to either put you in heaven or it's going to put you in hell. It's the things that you love. It's the place that you put your passions on that's going to determine what you have in life. It's your passions that's going to decide whether you have heaven or whether you have hell. There are lusts in this building that could destroy your soul. There are devils and demons that's patrolling around this place right now that could wreck your marriage and wreck your life. And some of you have allowed that to get a hold of you. And tonight I'm trying to change your passion. You've allowed your passions to get in the wrong place. You've allowed your passion and your desires to go the wrong place. And now you're making fools out of yourself. And you're bringing reproaches upon yourselves and upon your walk with God because your passions have gotten in the wrong places. And your passions have been moved to the wrong area because you didn't have a passion. 
passion to pray. And because of that passion, it's either going to damn your soul or it's going to put you on the sunny banks of sweet deliverance. But it's wherever you place your passion. He said, wherever your heart is, that's where you're going to be. Wherever your heart is, is where your money will be. Wherever your heart is, is where your life will be. Wherever your heart is, is where your walk with God will be. Wherever your heart is, your passion is, that's where you will be. It's wherever your passions are. I ask you tonight, what things do you love? I ask you tonight, what things have a hold of you? I ask you tonight, what things are controlling you? I ask you tonight, where are your passions, where are your desires, where are the things that you love? Everybody here will, by their passions, determine where they will spend eternity. The Bible naturally shows a preference for men and women of like passions. This book shows what happened to men and women who had a passion to pray. When they prayed in deep prayer and they poured their passions out in prayer, the more passionate that a man or woman puts into his prayer, the more answers he gets. The more space and the more praise in the Bible the Bible gives to a man and woman that knows how to take their passion and put it in their prayers. The more space God allows this book to write about a man who knew how to pray. I can incite you to a man by the name of Jacob. He was a prince in passion of his wrestling in prayer at a brook called Jabbok. Jacob's passion literally tore him to pieces that terrible historical night. His thigh bones were twisted and torn out of their sockets. His strongest sinews snapped under the strain like a silk thread. The Bible says an angel came down. It wasn't an angel come down while he was kneeling there and said, Now, God, you know that pastors ask us to all get out here and pray, and I'm down here, and God, I'm in the prayer room 30 minutes before church, and oh, God, you've been merciful. No, he was in passion. His thigh didn't get knocked out of joint by saying, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. He was wrestling so strong in passion and in love, and he knew that he had a battle ahead of him with Esau, and there was such a passion that got a hold of his soul that he wrestled so strong that his joints were turned and his muscles were twisted and his sinews were torn until finally his hip was knocked out of place because he was in such passion and such desire of prayer. But he got the hand of God to move upon him. His strongest sinew snapped like silk. There was not another night like that of passion and prayer that was recorded for 2,000 years. That is the most passionate prayer that was ever prayed for 2,000 years. But I tell you what it did. It took a brother that had hate in his heart. It took a brother by the name of Esau that wanted his blood. And it ended up making Esau put his arm around him and say, Jacob, I love you. Even though you stole my birthright, there's something I can't do but love you. You know what did that? It was the passion of prayer that got a hold of him. It was the passion of prayer. It was that passion of prayer. It was that desire, that cry of prayer. Where's your passion? Where's your prayer? Where are your desires? Where's Jerry? Jerry Clark in here. Where's Jerry? Jerry does a lot of fishing. But I want to tell you something about Jerry. I don't, I'm careful about mentioning people's names. Because about the time you mention somebody's name or, or somehow give a little glory, the devil seems to attack. But Jerry is a man that every week that goes past, his name is on that 
prayer chief. Now, that doesn't make Jerry a perfect man. We all have our faults and our failures. But I tell you something else. He knows how to use his handkerchief. He knows how to cry. A man that knows how to break before God. Nothing wrong with loving fishing as long as you know how to be a passionate man of prayer. There's nothing wrong with playing ball with the guys of the church having a good time as long as you know how to have passion in prayer. There's nothing wrong, fellas, with your golf game as long as there's passion in prayer. It's the things that you love. If we would perfect our prayer life like we try to perfect our golf swing, I wonder what we could do for God. Passion. Prayer. There's nothing like prayer. There's nothing works like prayer. Jacob halted Esau because he got down and said, uh-uh, I can't meet him until I have it out with you. And me and you are going to have it out. And when he and God had it out, he got his answer. And when you take your passion and you put it all in prayer, you will get God's attention. You may not get man's attention, but you will get God's attention when you do it in the passion of prayer. Why aren't there some women in this church that will take the example of a passionate, heartbroken, half-insane, appearing drunk, wanting to be a mother by the name of Hannah, who said, I'm going to pray in my prayers. She was absolutely drunk from the sorrowful passion of prayer. She would have fallen on the floor in the sanctuary, but the Bible said she caught hold of the horns of the altar, and it was that passion of prayer that even the preacher didn't understand her. Even the priest didn't understand her. Even the priest didn't even know what was going on. He said, what's wrong with that lady? But that kind of passion of praying produced a man by the name of Samuel who, while he was a prophet, not, on a, not one time did the Philistines come against the nation of Israel. You know who produced that man? It was one lady that said, I'm barren, but I'm going to pray passionately until God produces a child between me and my husband. I am going to give passionate prayer until I get my answer. Abraham actually pleaded with God for Sodom and Gomorrah. It was passionate prayer. It was a kind of prayer of, oh, God, can I find 50? God said, I'm going to wipe them out. I'm going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. God said, 50, 50. God said, okay, 50. And God said, he came back and said, God, I can't find 50. Oh, God. Oh, God, I'm intense, 40. Go find 40. I'll spare it for 40. You know the story, 30. You know the story, 20. You know the story down to 10. And he stopped praying. I believe if it had 
passionately kept praying, he could have probably saved all of Sodom and Gomorrah. All he got out of Sodom and Gomorrah was Lot and his family. But God was so moved by the prayer of Abraham that he could probably come on down to five. And God would have said, yes, if you can find five, because he had come from 50 down to 10. God wanted to spare that city if, if Abraham would have just kept on asking. And it was the prayers of Abraham that got a hold of Lot and his family and got him out of there. God looked down. He said, I'm going to destroy Israel. God looked down. He said, I'm going to destroy Israel. I'm going to wipe them out. Steve, I'm so glad you're here. You're in a church, but he's a, he's a Jew, and we're so glad he's here. Don't we love Steve? I'm so proud of him. This church loves the Jews. Any other church you'll ever see, brother, we believe in it. But you wouldn't even be here today if it wouldn't have been for one man. There wouldn't be a Jewish nation. God got so mad at the nation of Israel in the Old Testament when they got to dancing and playing that of a fool and fighting other gods. He looked down and said, I'm going to wipe them off of the mountain. And Moses went before God. He said, hold it just a minute. I'm going to cut a deal with you. It's going to be my prayer. If you're going to wipe out the nation of Israel, you wipe me out with them. And God didn't wipe out the nation of Israel because there was one man with a passion to pray. One man stopped God from wiping out an entire nation. A man by the name of Moses, through the power of prayer, is the reason why there's a nation of Israel tonight because of one man by the name of Moses that said, no, God, you're not going to do it or either you're going to wipe me out like it. <laughs> Hannah, Jacob, Abraham, Moses. Sounds like God's Hall of Fame, doesn't it? What about Isaiah? Why don't you open your Bibles maybe to Isaiah 64 with me? Uh, there's so many Bibles. They always bring your Bibles to church. Open your Bibles to Isaiah 64. We want to look at how he prayed in prayer. Look how he put it all together. Look how he cried. Look at Isaiah 64 and 1. Let's sort of read that together and see what Isaiah is doing in his prayer. Let's read Isaiah 64 and 1 together, everybody. Oh, thou that wouldest rend the heavens, that thou wouldest come down, that the mountains might flow down at thy presence. Look at verse 6. But we are all as an unclean thing. And all, I mean, that, that's just pouring it out. God, all of us are unrighteous. We're, it's all of our righteous are, are just unrighteous as filthy rags. And we all do fade as a leaf. And all of our iniquities are like the wind. And they've taken us away. But, but look at verse 7. And there is none that calleth upon thy name. There's none that will pray passionately and stir himself up to take hold of thee. For thou hast hid thy face from us and has consumed us because of our iniquities. But now, O Lord, thou art our Father. We're the clay and thou art the potter and we're the work of thy hands. In other words, God, reshape us, remake us. We see what the problem is. The problem is there is none that calleth upon their name. There is none that's calling after you. And Isaiah is saying, oh, give me some passionate prayers. Give me those that know how to intercede. Give me those that know how to travail. Give me those that know how to call on the name of the Lord. Let there be the cries. Let there be the prayers. And Isaiah said, if I get that, we can shake the world if I have passionate prayer. Passion for prayer. 
is a love for prayer. Why is it that prayer is the hardest thing to consistently do in your life? Because it's the most effective. It's the hardest thing. I have to speak on Wednesday at General Conference and on Saturday at General Conference and on Wednesday to the minister seminar. That's going to be the essence of what I'm telling you. Our problem is we get all built up at because of the times or at seminars or at revival meetings and we get all fired up like a Wednesday night at the Pentecostals where the pastor sort of calls a solemn assembly just to tell us we've got to get our passion back in our prayers and everything gets to going lovely and everything gets to going great for just a few weeks and then we settle back into the inconsistency of no prayer. And when you're not praying, and when there's no desire to talk with him, I don't know how you survive. If I couldn't get in that room every day with exception of when I'm not in town, if I couldn't get in that room and close that door, oh, and get along with him, and let him talk to me and me talk to him. I couldn't survive without that. I don't know how pe preachers preach without prayer. I don't know how churches survive without prayer. I don't know how saints stay on the firing line without prayer. I don't know how they don't have, why there's not built inside of us that desire. The devil knows how powerful prayer is. And young people, He'll shut your prayer down quicker and he'll shut anything else down. Young couples, if he can shut you up from praying, he is very happy because he knows how powerful that prayer is. But he fears a man and a woman. You hear me, the devil trembles and he shakes where there is a man and a woman that know how to bury their face in the carpet. And an that's prayer. Oh. Last night, my family came home. I want to tell you, we've had such a great summer together. This has been our greatest summer together as a family. We've had more fun, Mickey and I and Michael and Gentry. We haven't gone anywhere except to Jerusalem. I mean, we've been in town, and we've just had the best time at our house. Every night, we've been getting in the bedroom laughing and carrying on and just having the biggest time. So last night, they came home, and Mickey came in, and she had a piece of ice in her hand, and she placed it on my leg, and it was very cold. But before she ever got there, when she did that, she hadn't looked at me, and I looked up at her. I just said, not tonight. I'm into something. She just waves by. Michael comes in and wants me to show something. I said, not now. They all leave. They go in the den and have their good time and close the door. And I'm in that room all by myself. I didn't want Mickey. I didn't want Michael. I didn't want Gentry. I wanted my time with him. Oh, my time with him. Where I was talking to him about this message. Where I was talking to him about what I've got to convey to this church where I was talking to him and he was talking to me about what I've got to get across tonight. And they sensed that. And finally, 
at about 10, 10, 15. I opened the door. We never did laugh last night. I just simply said, come in. Let's have family prayer. And usually every one of us pray separately. And we pray for everything from Dan to Beersheba, from dogs to cats to people starving to death in Somalia. Gentry can pray the longest prayers for mosquitoes and ants and kissing cousins and, and everything in the world. But last night it was just me. And I pulled my family around. The only way I'm going to spare a 16-and-a-half-year-old young lady is with prayer. The only way that I'm going to spare my 8-year-old boy is with passion of prayer. The only way God is going to work their life out is through the passion of prayer. The only way that God is going to keep his hand on Mickey and myself and the anointing of God in our life and on our marriage and keep us happy is through the power of passion praying. And until you understand that, everything's going to go away. Marriage is going to be misspent. Children are going to get dismembered. Things are going to happen that shouldn't be happened until we learn the power of passion praying. I'm telling you, it can go anywhere God can go. It can do anything God can do. It can call things from heaven that nothing else can call from heaven. It can move God when nothing else can move God. Is a man or a woman that knows how to go on their face before God. Ezra chapter 9. Book of Ezra chapter 9. Oh, I love you, Lord. Oh, I love you, Lord. Isaiah chapter, excuse me, Ezra chapter 9. Would you look at verse 1? Look what happened. There was the people of Israel. There was the priests. There was the Levites. Notice what he says, you have not separated yourself unto me. Your passions are everywhere else. Do you notice that? Then look at verse 2, would you? He said, you're a holy seed. Underline that, would you? He said, you're a holy seed. But what does he say? You've mingled yourself with the people of the land. He said, you're a holy seed, but your passions have been on other things. Then look at verse 3. He said, when I saw that, I rent my garment and my mantle. And that's when I fell on my knees and I began to pray. Look at verse 9. We were bondmen, yet our God hath not forsaken us in our bondage. We were, we were loving other passions. We were bound by the things of this world. But he loved us even when we were in bondage. He extended mercy unto us in the sight of the kings of Persia. He gave us a reviving. He set up the house of our God to repair the desolations thereof. He gave us a wall in Judah and in Jerusalem. Verse 10, And now, O God, what shall we say after this? For we have forsaken thou commandments. He's praying a passion prayer there. And look at verse 13. And after 
after all that has come upon us for our evil deeds and for our great trespasses, seeing that thou, our God, hast punished us less than our iniquities deserve and hast given us such deliverance as this. Verse 15, O Lord God of Israel, thou art righteous, for we remain yet escaped. As it is this day, behold, we are before thee in our trespasses, for we cannot stand before thee because of this. In other words, he was praying such an intense prayer. Then look at verse 1 of chapter 10. When Ezra had prayed and when he had confessed, when he was with weeping and he's casting himself down before the house of God, there assembled unto him out of Israel a great congregation of men and women and children for the people wept sore. When one man got in the passion of prayer, when one man started praying the prayer of repentance for the nation of Israel and wanted to go back and rebuild the wall and get the city back to revival of God, the Bible said in chapter 10, verse 1, that a great congregation of men and women and children were very sore. They all gathered around. That's what the passion of prayer does. It starts revival. It'll start a revival in an individual. It can start a revival in a marriage that is dead. It can start a revival in a life. It can start a revival in a church where there is passion praying. What I'm saying is it's contagious. Passion praying is contagious. Something that gets a hold of you. But it's the hardest thing to do. It's the most consistent thing you'll ever have to try to do in your life. Because it's the most powerful thing. It's the thing that will help you solve the problems of life is passion praying. And that's why it's the hardest, most consistent thing to do. Men and women will all come from every direction. Your family will come from every direction when you learn the power of passionate praying. Time would fail me tonight to mention the passionate prayers of the rest of the Bible. I don't have time to talk tonight about the man that went to his friend's house at midnight. I don't have time tonight to talk about the impotent lady that went over there and just kept knocking and knocking and knocking and knocking, uh, screaming at that judge and screaming at that judge, avenge me of my adversary. I don't have time to talk about that tonight. I don't have time to dwell long on a man by the name of Jesus who walked into a garden and became such a passionate prayer that he sweat, as it were, great drops of blood. I mean, they poured out of the pores of his skin because he was in such intense prayer. But it's enough that everyone in this room, you ought to realize how powerful prayer is. That is enough to let every one of us put our passion in prayer. I guarantee you, I promise you, I will lay my ministry on the line that if you put passion in your prayers as couples together God can work out any marital problem that's there I will tell you if you will put passion one, one of you can't do it it's going to take two together but if you put passion in your prayers God can put legs on those situations and bring them together I'll tell you what would happen your heart would by degrees be drawn off of the things that have been deceitful and sinful and worldly in your life and all of a sudden your heart would be directed in towards 
him. The things of your heart would be directed and set on heavenly things instead of earthly things. And if you ever become a passionate prayer, you're going to become a new man. You're going to become a new woman. You're going to become a new husband. You're going to become a new wife. You're going to become a new son. You're going to become a new daughter. You're going to become a new mother. You're going to become a new father. When you learn that your passions have to be directed somewhere because they're going to go somewhere. And it'll end up in lust. It'll end up in lustful things. It'll end up wrecking your life. Or either you can take your passions and you can pour it into your prayers. And it can be directed towards heaven. And your passions that made you so difficult to live with will become subdued and softened and sweetened. And you will think better about yourself when you learn the power of prayer. Nothing does all of that in any house but fervent, passionate prayer. Nothing subdues, nothing sanctifies like prayer. Nothing works out your problem like prayer. God has 7,000 promises in this book, and they apply to you and your situation, but they are only activated by an if my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray. God doesn't answer prayer because of pity. He doesn't have pity on you because you're crying in a prayer because you and the devil has messed some situation up. He answers prayer because of passionate, prevailing, intercessory prayer. Praying in prayer will bring you major victories. You will major in victory. You'll start minoring in losses when you learn the power of passionate prayer. I'm getting ready to close, but I've got one more book to go to, the book of Numbers. Passionate. Pray. How do I know what's right? How do I know if I'm supposed to do this? How do I know if where I'm supposed to be? If you've been wondering about the will of God, I'm getting ready to answer your question. Numbers chapter 6. Is where Israel makes their, excuse me, mother, chapter 6. Is where Israel makes her Nazarite vow. In Numbers chapter 7 is where she begins to give her dedication and her offerings. In chapter 6, she has made vows. In chapter 7, she is starting to give of her resources and herself. And we reach the 89th verse after vows and dedication and you come to the 89th verse of chapter 7 and it says and when Moses was gone into the tabernacle of congregation to what to what when Moses was gone into the tabernacle to do what to speak with him then he heard 
the voice of one speaking to him from where? Not from the pulpit. It wasn't G.A. or Anthony telling them something from this pulpit. When they went into the tabernacle, they heard a voice coming from the mercy seat that was upon the ark of testimony from between the two cherubs, and he spake unto him. God spoke to Moses when Moses passionately spoke to God. When Moses made an effort to go in to speak to God from the mercy seat, from the ark of the covenant, God speaks back to Moses. And that leads you to chapter 8. And there you will find that's where they consecrate the Levites, which became those, look at verse 11, that ministered or executed the services unto the Lord. That didn't happen until there was a prayer meeting. They didn't have services unto the Lord. They didn't minister unto the Lord until first of all they had heard from God. Psalm chapter 103. And I close Psalm chapter 103. Don't forget Numbers chapter 7. That is a powerful verse. When he went to the tabernacle, God spoke to Moses from the mercy seat that was on the Ark of the Covenant. Chapter 103, verse 1. Ron, would you stand and read that real loud for me? Boy, isn't that good? Okay, isn't that great? Go ahead, read verse 2. Isn't that great? Go ahead. Read all the way to verse 6. Isn't that great? We love that scripture, don't we? Isn't that great? But that's where we always stop. Why don't you look at verse 7? What does it say? He made known his ways to who? To Moses, his acts unto the children of Israel. 103 and 7 is the answer to Numbers chapter 7. He made his ways known to Moses. How did Moses know the will of God? How did Moses know everything to do? How did Moses know when to leave Pharaoh? How did Moses know how to cross the Red Sea? How did Moses know how to do this? How did Moses know how to know the Ten Commandments? How did Moses know how to know the tabernacle? He went before God in passion praying and God made his ways known to Moses. And if you want to know the will of God on what you should do, how to do it, when to do it, how to do this, what to do this, should I do this, should I do that? I'll tell you where you find out. You find out right here. Oh, God. Oh. 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 That man, she whipped he prayed. That man, what little bit of ministry I have, 
probably prayed it into existence. Daddy's 76 is coming March. He doesn't do a whole lot around here. He's still very active. He doesn't preach much. I, it's not my fault. I beg him to preach when I'm gone. As far as pulpit ministry, but Daddy does a whole heap around here. That you don't even. We couldn't make it without his hospital visitation and the work that he does. But I can hire preachers by the dozens to make hospital calls. I tell you, what separated this church through the years from just any other church around. Yes, our separation from the world. Yes, our standards. Yes, our doc. Yes, yes, yes. But also, because we have a man. Folks, outside of that gray-haired lady on that front pew, I know him better than anybody else. Prayer. My subject on Wednesday, speaking to those thousands of people, will be what makes it tick. What makes the ministry move in Alexandria? One simple thing. Man and a woman that exampled it for me and Mickey passion, prayer. I walk in my dad's office probably four times a day. And three of the four times he's on that pallet in prayer. I wouldn't even ask dad and wouldn't tell you because I wouldn't want him to lose any glory. I wouldn't even try to put how many hours he prays a day for the pastor of this church. When he's gone, I plan on preaching what I've always preached, doing what I've always do, believing what I've always believed, keep doing it just like he had doing it. Somewhere, someplace, somebody will have to kick in for quite a few hours prayer. I told you about it when the boat blew up. Dad came to me for three days. You know, Dad's a very compassionate man. Dad would come in. He loves me and he hugs me, but he, uh, when he kisses me, and I'm sure he don't kiss mother that way, but when he kisses me and Mickey, he, he does it. I mean, he's just going to barely let you get to his cheek. He's just something else. My dad is something else. But he was coming by, and he said, Anthony, are you okay? Uh, Anthony, don't let any devil deceive you. Anthony, are you keeping your life clean? I said, Lord, Dad, what, you know, what's wrong with you? I hadn't, you know, I hadn't been having those problems. Don't you let the devil deceive you. Don't you let a woman or a man deceive you. He said, I've had such a burden for you. He prayed a prayer shift, saw his name there, tried to get somebody to take it from 12 to 6. 
the night camp meeting started on a Sunday night. He prayed from 12 to 6. The next day at 1.30, some Brother Lumpkin and I, man, couldn't swim the lake if he had to. No life jacket on Trey, my boy in the boat, blows it up. You know why I'm here tonight? Is because God spoke to Dad to pray six hours for his son. What if Dad wouldn't have prayed those two, three-hour prayer shifts? Mike Gill can tell you she was behind the boat getting ready to ski. 30 seconds prior to that, when that thing blew the whole back of the boat, I was laying over that engine, hooking up a ski rope. What, just what if he wouldn't have spent, maybe, maybe it'd have been the same thing. But what if? A man that had a burden for me for days and decided to do something about it with passion of prayer. Maybe I'm still passing you tonight because I had a father that knew the power of prayer. And I know some of you sweet parents raised your children the best of your knowledge. They've cracked your heart and you're hurting so bad tonight. No fault of your own. But I want to tell you something. It's not just prayer shifts. You've never heard me preach this before because I've never preached it before. It's not just sign this prayer sheet's the answer. You can come here for three hours and walk. You can come here for two hours and read the Bible, one hour and pray. But I want to tell you what moves God. save my grandkids. You're the only one that can save my children. You're the only one that can work out my marriage. You're the only one that can work out my life. Young people, let me find my companion. God, you're the only one. When you get to the power of passionate praying, not praying, but praying in your prayers, this church will see the greatest revival. You will see the greatest revival in your life. You will see the greatest revival in your individual life. You've got two things to make a decision on tonight. First of all, whether you're going to do it. That's first and foremost. You're deciding that right now. Has pastor preached for one hour and five minutes? Has pastor preached you under conviction to where you want to passionately pray? That's the number one question. The second question is, how long will it last? Is this something that I'm going to commit my life to? Is this something that I'm going to love to do? As much as I love to fish or hit a golf ball or, or go shopping, is this something that I'm going to love to do as much as I love anything else, sewing or anything else you do for a hobby, flying, whatever your hobby is, is this something I'm going to do as much as I do anything else? If it is, you're on the verge of getting ready to bring God into your problems. And you're on the verge of getting ready to see God. I'll stake my ministry on it because it's that Bible. And if he don't back it, 
then he's not a truthful man. But if you will passionately seek him, I will promise you he will answer the prayers of a righteous man. They availeth much. I haven't seen anybody wondering tonight. You young people have been so respectful of your pastor, and I thank you. Everybody, there has been nobody go to sleep. Everybody's been watching every move and hanging on to every word. I've sensed that tonight. But now, what will you do? I taught the book of Proverbs Sunday to that class, and I was as annoying as I've ever been. And Solomon simply said this, where much is known, much is required. And uh, if you don't make a commitment, I've got one more thing to tell you before you go to your other loves and your other passions that you brought with you tonight and you leave him as a second or third lover. I've got one more thing to tell you. At judgment, you will be judged differently than any other Christian and any other Pentecostal or anyone else because you sit here on this Wednesday night and you heard this message. And you will have to give an account Maybe they didn't have this at another Pentecostal church, another United Pentecostal church across town. Maybe they didn't have this tonight. They may have shouted tonight. They'll be held responsible for what they heard over there tonight. But you're going to be held responsible for what you heard tonight. And I'm telling you, the passionate prayer of a righteous man moves God and it gets answers. And you've got to have a desire to pray. Work your life out, Paul David. had some tough knocks in life. You lost a dad when you were just a kid. God can do great things in your life. Power of prayer. You can change circumstances. Things that's in your heart you can change with prayer. They'll let you know. Moses, you'll know what to do. You'll know as well. Bill Wittenberg came by to see me today. He said, Pastor, 515, you changed my life. I said, what are you, what are you talking about? The wiles of the devil. I, I, could, I said, you're talking about the message I preached? He said, yes, that was on May the 15th. He said, because that's the greatest message I've ever heard you preach. Probably not. I told him today it may have been the top three. But it's the one that brought accountability to this church because it brought you either do it in the flesh or do it in the spirit. But right beside that message that I preached on that Sunday morning, you better get the date of this Wednesday night <laughs> because here's your answer. And without it, you're going to make shipwreck. You can't handle it. And I love every one of you, but you can't work it out. And your spirit and your attitudes are wrong, and it's not going to work unless you hear your pastor passionately pleading for you to get passion in your prayer and say, God, ah, ah, from down here. Not just come walk around that thing for 30 minutes before church. Oh, 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 my daughter. 
Oh, my girl, my girl. Oh, Jitrika. That boy's got to be saved. Oh, Jitrika. God, Jitri Mangan. God, I present you, Gentry Mangan, with all the passion I have. I give you, Gentry Mangan. Oh, God, Mickey Mangan, our marriage. Oh, God. The only way I can survive. Number one, will you commit? Number two, will you do it consistently? Here's the altar. It's your choice. It's a decision that God has brought you to make. What will you do with the message that you've heard on this Wednesday night and the passion of prayer? The only thing that will work. Oh, the cry of a passion. Oh, that passionate prayer. Oh, that passionate prayer. Prayer of a passionate man. Amen.